Today's reading is from the book of Acts, chapter 16, verses 9 through 15. During the night, Paul had a vision. There stood a man of Macedonia pleading with him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, we immediately tried to cross over to Macedonia, being convinced that God had called us to proclaim the good news to them. We therefore set sail from Troas and took a straight course to Samothrace, the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia, and a Roman colony. We remained in this city for some days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate by the river where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had gathered there. A certain woman named Lydia, a worshiper of God, was listening to us. She was from the city of Thyatira and a dealer in purple cloth. The Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. When she and her household were baptized, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my home. And she prevailed upon us. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Our guest preacher this morning, she was with us last week and made all of us stand up and listen. Pastor Shonda is an anti-oppression consultant and is the founder of the Oakland Peace Center, a collective of 40 organizations working to create equity, access, and dignity as the means of creating peace in Oakland and the Bay Area. Shonda will be available after this service with you folks on Zoom, so you guys get to have a grand chat about the sermon, and we can do that as well among ourselves. Pastor Shonda, take us home. Thank you so much. It is a gift to be with you again for this sequel sermon. Uh, will you be with me in an attitude of prayer? Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Melt us, mold us, fill us, use us. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Amen. So 
We've jumped a long way from last week's passage, which was focused on Peter, to a very different personality in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul. You may know some of Paul's story, how he had helped the Roman Empire in shutting down this new Jesus following movement because the Jewish leadership was on the same side as the Roman Empire in seeing these Christ followers as a threat and that God had intervened and helped him see the light and he had become a radical convert to uh, the teachings of Jesus and the mission of Jesus to his own risk of life. And so we're picking up with one of Paul's ministries where he and Silas end up in Macedonia. If it wasn't for this trip, we wouldn't have the books of Thessalonians and Philippians because Thessalonica and Philippi are both cities in Macedonia. It's an important trip that was made possible because Paul and Silas couldn't go deeper into Asia like they had wanted to. And then this vision comes, much like last week, Peter had a vision. This week, Paul has a vision of someone saying, we need you in Macedonia, and he follows. Now, you may remember last week, the sermon was entitled Minority Report, and this week's sermon is entitled Majority Report. Last week, we were focused on what does it mean to be marginalized and oppressed people called to reach out to people with power? And as you can probably guess, the focus of this week is what does it mean to be people of power receiving the gifts of people on the margins. And the reason I thought that was going to be an easy sermon to preach was because I know who Lydia is, because there are not a lot of women for us to look up to in the Bible. For some reason, all of the very important women got left out, except for a handful. Don't know why that is. You might have some guesses. But Lydia is one of them. And I have been in women's circles at churches called Lydia circles uh, because she's one of the people we have to look up to as a model for what being a woman in leadership in the church can be. Like I said, I knew a lot about her and I knew she had power because she was a dealer in purple cloth. You didn't deal in purple cloth if you didn't have a lot of money and making purple cloth got you more money. So she was someone I already knew had a lot of power. She's also by the riverside running a worship service. To be a woman who's running worship means you have to have a certain power because unlike today, women weren't treated as equals back then can't tell if the congregation's laughing, but it's intended as a laugh line. Uh, at least the women will probably think it's funny. Those of us who are um, women and gender non-conforming and gender non-binary don't always experience a lot of reverence or appreciation for our leadership. So for Lydia, in that day and age, to be leading worship of other people, of other women, meant 
she was pretty powerful. She was also in a prosperous community, unlike those original disciples who were living in what the Roman Empire considered to be a troublesome backwater with ignorant and unevolved people in it, if they considered them people at all in Judea. Lydia lived in a powerful, prosperous community that was a significant military location for the Roman Empire, and therefore a place that got invested in. She was living in an important place. By our definitions, you could say that she had privilege. But the reality is, no matter how much privilege and power she had, she was still a woman. And so I realized that my simple narrative of the majority report, what it means to be a powerful person encountering someone on the margins is not as simple as I thought it was gonna be. And the fact of the matter is Paul was in many ways marginalized. We know he had some sort of physical disability that people definitely were very aware of and commented on. And he celebrates how kind people are to him in the midst of that disability, which indicates to you that that's not normally how he's treated. If he's remarking on people's kindness to him in the midst of his dealing with a disability, and in those days to have a disability marginalized you. He was Jewish. We've already established that the Roman Empire did not have a lot of patience for anyone who was monotheistic, because if you were pantheistic, you could add the Roman emperor as one of your gods and no one would be bothered either way. But if you only had one God, it meant you couldn't also worship the Roman emperor. And that meant that Jews and then Christ followers, what we would eventually call Christians, were marginalized within the Roman empire. That said, Paul's ministry was self-funding. We, we talk about tent makers, ministers who fund themselves through other means. Paul is where we get that term from. He made tents. He had resources. He was self-funding. He was also a Roman citizen. Howard Thurman, the great Black mystic theologian, said, if Jesus had been pushed into a ditch by a Roman centurion, he would have had no recourse. He would have just been another Jew in a ditch. But if Paul experienced that, he had recourse because he had the power of citizenship. He also, unlike the other unlike the disciples who had journeyed with Jesus, he spoke Greek, which was the language of commerce, which gave him access to all sorts of communities. So while my original story was Lydia with the power, opening herself to the wisdom of people from the margins, Paul was a man. Paul was a man who had a lot of power within the Jewish community. Paul spoke Greek. Paul had citizenship. You can see how both of them had experiences of power and of marginalization that bumped into each other in some holy ways on the side of that river. One of my favorite modern theologians, Bible scholars rather, is a woman named Mitzi Smith. She's a black womanist Bible scholar. 
She has a great book called Sass and Talk Back about the women of the Bible and how much to quote somebody in the chat, chutzpah they brought to their work and how that is very much like the women leading this, the new civil rights movement today. Mitzi, Dr. Smith had something important to say about this text that I had never noticed before. She said, Lydia absolutely was located in a center of power. Lydia had lots of resources. Lydia obviously had enough that she could welcome in complete strangers into her home without worrying about whether she could meet their needs for as long as they needed. But she wasn't from there. They were in Philippi and she was introduced to us as Lydia from Theatira. She lived there, she made her living there, she clearly had abundant resources there, and she was still known as Lydia from Theatira. Mitzi, Dr. Smith's point is, sorry, Dr. Mitzi Smith's point is, she remembered what it was like to be an outsider. And for that reason, she was primed to recognize the gifts of outsiders. I have been doing anti-racism trainings in the Disciples of Christ for about 15 years. And there's an exercise we do with very beginning groups to help give them some basic tools to enter the conversation. It's an exercise called On Meaning and Mattering. And what we do is we ask people, and I'm gonna ask you as I walk you through the exercise to imagine for yourself a time that you really felt like you mattered. When people listened to you, when they valued what you had to offer, when your gifts were honored, where were you? How old were you? Who were the people involved? How did they make you feel? Who did it make you feel connected to? And after people have had a chance to reflect on that and then share with each other, we ask people to think about a time they felt like they were made to feel like they didn't matter. And we go through those same questions. Where were you? How old were you? Who was involved? What did they do that made you feel like you weren't valued? How did that affect you? And as you can imagine, we go through that exercise to prime people to be conscious of other people's experiences of what it feels like to matter and what it feels like not to matter. Now that exercise has clearly gotten deep into my blood flow over the years. And the reason I know that to be true is I recently finished a manuscript on a book about ancestors and how connecting with our ancestors can equip us for the work of dismantling 
white supremacy. I remember very early on in my thinking about this, I talked with several friends about what that could feel like. And one of my white friends said to me, that may be true for people of color. I'm not sure it's true for white people. And I said, because she and I both care a great deal about labor justice, I said, but white people have ancestors like the workers who, who striked at the Haymarket riots in Chicago. White people have ancestors like the miners in Kentucky who took on an industry and won even though they had to risk their lives to do so. They have ancestors like the white indentured servants back in 1676 who joined with black enslaved people in Bacon's rebellion. In fact, they were so forceful in taking on the plantation owners that that is when white indentured servitude began to disappear because plantation owners thought we'd better convince the poor white folks that they're us and convince them that black people are the enemy. That's how powerful your white ancestors are, I said to her. Why wouldn't you wanna to turn to them as a source of encouragement for the work of dismantling white supremacy? And she said, yeah, good luck with that. That means inviting white people to connect with our ancestors who aren't middle and upper class. And that's a battle. She wasn't really joking because there is something in this world we live in today that says we should honor a particular version of success. And sometimes we can honor the ancestors who struggled and were poor if we can show how they made it out. We're not often encouraged to think about the ancestors who stayed where they were and joined in solidarity to fight injustice with people who weren't necessarily like them in creed or religion or class or race, but who were united in a sense of solidarity around creating a world that would be more just for all of them. What strikes me about Lydia isn't just what we heard today. It's that what happens next in this story is Paul and Silas get into some trouble and they go to jail. And after they get out of jail, Lydia welcomes them to stay with her. Now, would that every single church in this country were able to do the exact same thing when someone got out of jail. Paul and Cyrus had been incarcerated. They were perceived as a threat to the community. They were also foreign and Lydia made space for them. And I find myself thinking about that passage, which Paul is said to have said, once you were no people, but now you are God's people. Now that means one thing to people who were told over and over that we were less than, 
because of gender, because of race, because of orientation, because of class. And that's who it was for, for people who were marginalized and oppressed to say, you've been told your whole life that you're worthless, but you're actually part of this powerful community. But I think that that passage is also an opportunity for the Lydia's of the world to say, we were given a particular narrative about ourselves, but we get to claim the community that we are in now. God is giving us the tools to connect with our community, even if we have all the privilege. Although, as you know from the meaning and mattering exercise, all of us know what it's like to feel left out, to feel like we don't matter. That can be a tool for anger and bitterness and frustration and rage. It can connect us to dangerous movements like white supremacist movements and incel movements and the Proud Boys who feed on that bitterness and rage. But it can also connect us to this other thing where we get to be God's people, where we're now part of this family called to be Lydia who remembers what it was like when we didn't matter and now that we do can help other people feel like they matter as well. We get to turn because of this amazing resource of the scriptures. We get to turn to ancestors who struggled and join with those who struggled even more. We have those ancestors, even if their stories don't get told to us enough. Because whoever we were before we encountered the gospel, however the world said we mattered or did not, Lydia shows us that now that we are God's people, we get to invite into our space people who are perceived to be dangerous and yet are powerful and glorious and full of wisdom and ready to receive our wisdom as well. May we build such a community. Amen. <laughs>